0: Everyone, welcome to Pit Stops to Podium, the Red Partners podcast. where We talk to execs who competed and won, taking their companies from high growth to high scale. My name is Brendan Tollison. I serve as the co-founder and CEO of Red Partners, and I'm delighted to have with me today, more Oceline for this episode of Pit Stops to Podium. Welcome, more. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you. More is going to be a really fun episode um, as we get into how to run effective demos. Um, but for those who may not be familiar with more, more is the founder at. at from demo to close, or otherwise known as FDTC, uh, and more. This is a, a great opportunity, I think, for you to share a little bit more about FDTC, uh, as well as the origin story. How did you come up with the idea? What gave you the expertise or the background to say, "Hey, this is, this is what I want to pursue"?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, from demo to close is a consulting, advising, training, coaching program um, for. I have like the B two B service side, so I work with early stage startups founders. Um, for go-to-market sales, so building out sales playbooks, improving sales processes, people, etc. And then there's another leg to the business, which is the university. It's my coaching program, it's specifically built out for account executives. Um, every week, we meet once a week on on Zoom. There's Slack. There's course content. There's material. There's resources. So I'm like their virtual coach over Zoom, but we meet once a week. So um, that that's what the business is. So it's first specifically for B two B SaaS. Uh, the origin of this is. I prior to even, so the business has been around for about two years. Prior to that, I was a VP of sales um, for a couple of SaaS startups. Um, And prior to that, I actually, my my first job out of college was a sales job and I quit the first day. Um, That was way back when. First day?
0: What what happened?
1: uh, I didn't like sales. I was scared. It was a cold calling job. I needed a job, took the job, um, got the interview, did well in the interview, and then. And I didn't actually, I've never really done cold calls. And then I just freaked out. Just total cold feet. (laughs) And then I told the founder, I'm like, I'm so sorry. This is, sales isn't for me. And funny enough, sales is for me. (laughs) And so um, got back into it um, after doing cold calling and door knocking as a realtor at Keller Williams. And then got into tech sales over 10 years ago. And then I've been there ever since. And so all the companies that I've worked for, they've all been, you know, they're not like Salesforce or Oracle, these big names. So it wasn't as easy to sell because nobody's heard of the companies before. So you had to get really creative on how to sell. And that's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity because then that's where you build out your sales skills. But majority of the revenue that we've closed came from the demos that we gave, meaning you had to give a demo in order to, for them to see the value, in order for them to close. Even some of them were sort like some PLG companies. And so that means I had to get really good at doing demos. And then when I hired, I had to get really good at training reps to do demos. And I did that multiple times where the worst salesperson on the team closed 50% of their demos. The best salesperson closed between like 70-75% of their demos. And when I launched my business, it was specifically focused on demos. But then the truth is, demos don't close on the one call. They close after the call. It takes time. If it's mid-market or enterprise. So the entire business is predicated on how to do demos, but really how to actually move deals forward via discovery, preparation, multi-threading, um, building up playbooks. Um, yeah, so that's the origin. That's I'm here.
0: Well, I'm excited to dive into that topic because there's a lot to unpack there, especially for our audience. Um, and it's a fascinating story in terms of uh, quitting your first day because you're worried about cold calling and, and now seeing what you're doing <laughs> for, for your career.
1: Uh, well, that's, so that's, a,
0: uh, that's a fun, full story. Uh, well, more before we get into understanding some of those a- actual insights that our audience can take around how to be effective at running demos, I uh, would love to just learn the personal side of you. You know, What are those passions, hobbies, interests that you have uh, when you're not helping B2B SaaS organizations?
1: Yeah, I, I like this question because it's you probably don't get this response as a common response. When I'm not working, I'm working. <laughs> I, <laughs> I enjoy working. It's a, it's a hobby of mine. I, I really enjoy it. And what that looks like, it may not be like doing coaching calls, but it it is probably writing content on LinkedIn. I love writing content. Um, I love copywriting. I used to be a copywriter before I even got into sales. Um, I worked at Zimmerman Advertising, which is one of the largest in Florida. Um, And so I'm copywriting, I'm reading, um, I'm rarely just doing nothing. So my passion, work,
0: I guess. (laughs) What is the the last book you read could be work or could be for fun. Well, sounds like that's for fun for you. But what is? Yeah, yeah. What, what do you read, or what would you recommend our audience to, to read?
1: Yeah. So, if you're
0: in sales, I think if you're in
1: sales, you should study psychology and copywriting. I think you find a lot of things in there because it it taps into human psychology. But I'm rereading now. I just reread um, uh, Expert Secrets from Russell Brunson, and then uh, Traffic Traffic Secrets just came in the mail, so I'm just starting to read that. And it's more so like tapping into. I'm like I'm big into marketing. I'm I'm probably a marketer trapped in a salesperson's body, um, which I think could make me a good salesperson because of that. But that's what I'm reading now.
0: That's great. All right. Well, more. Let's um, since your passion is work. Let's talk about work. Uh, Yeah, let's Um, get into it. What you know, what you're passionate about. Well, there are a lot of things within. You mentioned. Messaging and marketing, but ultimately supporting sales teams. Um, and that demo being a critical part of determining success or failure within um, that, that sales engagement, really driving that. I don't know if you actually made a debatable question is a demo an SQL or an MQL, but really driving it from sales interaction to close, making sure that conversion rate is high. Um, let's start here. Um, before you get into what makes a great demo, um, how do you like for reps or SDRs or anything about sales teams? Um, is, discovery, is discovery and demo separate or are they part of the same conversation or can you do both? How do you think through that? I hate using this answer because
1: it, it's an annoying answer, but it depends. So it depends on are you SMB? If you're SMB, then I, I think majority of the time it should be combined. I, when I say majority, I mean like all of the time. You're outliers where you'll separate them because the discovery went really well and really deep where you don't have time to do a demo and then you schedule a secondary demo. Or, sec, or secondary follow-up. That's a demo. So SMB should always be disco demo combined. Always, in my opinion. When you're getting into more mid-market enterprise, then you can make the strong debate that hey, there are you can split them or you can do you can combine them. But you should always prioritize discovery. So if if you typically do disco demo in one, if you're an enterprise or or mid-market, and you're not done yet with like the discovery is really deep. The prospect is really engaging and he's answering the questions. Don't rush out of discovery so you can do the demo. Um, So in that case, I would say separate them. Um, But short answer SMB, combine them mid market enterprise. There is no wrong answer really, it really depends on where the conversation is going. Um, I think it also really depends on if your website has a book, a demo or a schedule, a demo, the buyer expects to see a demo. So if you start that call, if that call is really only a discovery. You're not a al- lot, you're not aligning to what the buyer's expectations are, which you lose the buyer on. You lose your trust yeah. credibility. So give them a demo. Give them something.
0: Yeah. I think it gets to your back to your marketing uh, perspective. Like, hey, be consistent with whatever your messaging is. Exactly. Yeah. What you experience as the buyer. Okay. I think that's helpful. I'd also I'm also curious to hear your perspective on who is responsible. We can make it that later, but I think it probably depends on. Oftentimes, I've seen this. Probably because I've been more mid market and above, but uh, as a sales engineer responsible, as a rep responsible, I think there's always sometimes that lack of ownership creates a, a really poor experience. But maybe we'll get into that in just a second. Um, but what makes a great demo and versus a, a poor demo? I'll
1: give you a perfect analogy metaphor. What was the last movie you watched in theaters?
0: In the- oh, gosh theaters. Um, well, the last movie, uh, I'll just, it's been a very, very long time. So I'll go with. Uh, I have three little kids, so it's hard for me to go to the theater. The me last too. movie I watched was Remember the Titans with my wife because she has never seen it before. That is a long, long time ago. Well, no, that's not the last movie I saw in the theater. That's the last movie oh, I oh, 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 Okay. Yeah, okay. It, it, yeah, that would be very sad if that was the last movie I saw in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> that was like 2002. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what was. Uh, I'm killing you... your metaphor now. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was the last I'm, movie you watched? The last movie I saw in theaters was Top Gun. Per- Maverick. Yeah.
1: Not the original Top Gun.
0: <laughs> yeah, not the original. Yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah. Good distinction.
1: All right. Let me ask you a question. Before you watched, when you went to see the movie in theaters, was that the first time you've watched? it somewhat or did you watch a trailer in advance
0: trailer in advance
1: so that is what the demo is it's it's the trailer not the movie so what makes a great demo is it's specific enough to the buyer where they can walk away from it saying wow this can solve my problem not how it could solve like this is exactly to solve my problem the the movie itself the actual full movie movie is the prospect becoming the buyer and the customer and that's the onboarding and the training so a great De- a great demo is like a trailer. It's not too long. It's it's long enough to get the prospect to know exactly what they need and to align it to their to their problems. And it's short enough where they want more of it. So that means demos shouldn't be too long because then you get prospect burnout. So the in order to do that, you need to prioritize discovery. And the way I, I used to say when I used to sell software, I tell buyers, I'd say like, hey, Brendan, um, my number one goal is to show you how to solve your biggest problems in the shortest period of time. And that's what I'm going to show you today. And that means if you have one main problem and I have a feature, I have a software with 50 features, but out of the 50 features, there are only two in there that can solve that one problem. That's what I'm demoing. I'm not demoing the 49, 48 others.
0: Why? Well, yeah. I love that. I don't know if it's a metaphor or analogy. Uh, and I'm glad I gave you one that was in the theaters and not just remember the Titans. Cause that really wouldn't have worked. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think they're. I think people get it, but they also still fall into the temptation that they'll show them everything. But you get to that point, less is more, focus on the three things that people will buy. Why Why do reps struggle with, not do, like, why don't they do that?
1: For, for many reasons. One, their discovery is too shallow. And so when they, when they do a discovery, and they ask one or two questions, maybe they don't ask enough questions, and they start the demo, they don't know where to navigate because they don't have reference to navigate. They don't have the pain to navigate. Not enough of it. So like, oh, let me start showing you the dashboard and the settings. And then they just go through the demo. That's one reason. Number two, it's maybe their managers or whatever, if they're working in like a early, early stage company where there's a founder only, the founder is really gung-ho about their product and really excited. And they're like, you got to show them this. This is where it's at. And that's not really relevant. And so they just, they're following orders or they were trained to do it that way. Um, And so sometimes it's all three.
0: I like that. I mean, it's, it speaks into you truly need to understand your customer. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why people don't, whether that's because of poor discovery um, or poor training uh, by, by the manager. Um, poor discovery
1: also, is a very, very, it's like one of the most one of the most common things, even in companies that have sales enablement built out, the discovery is just not there.
0: Yeah. And I... Um, I'd love to also unpack another topic, which is, so there's some of these things internally that they can control, right? In terms of process enablement, uh, how to run effective uh, discoveries. But there's also like, how do you manage personalities? And so that's more the external piece. But as you're talking to reps and coaching them, how should they be mindful of the buyer that they're talking to? And how should they not only tailor it in terms of the need the business has, but also just the personality of the person they're talking to?
1: Yeah, so that that's, uh, that's probably where like the marketing head comes in and how I think about it. And so if you're I think every company should have this sort of baked in and many don't and they only have it for sales if they do have it, but buyer persona. So what are the what are the titles? You should have a buyer persona matrix, which is the title, the role of the the prospect, what their dislikes are on a professional level and then what their dislikes on a personal level, what triggers them, what they like, like really like write it out, for example, if you're selling to a ceo or an svp what they dislike is maybe long-winded answers they just like go, go to the, get to the point and so maybe storytelling is not an ideal strategy to use with that type of buyer but potentially you'd have to map it out for your own buyer persona um, for example if you're selling an antiquated if you're selling software to an antiquated industry like construction then you know that a, a founder of a construction company it could be like a mid-market construction company may not be as tech savvy and they they don't like when you get too complex. They like things simple. So that's part one buyer persona. Then what I'd recommend is you build out a buying scenario matrix, which is what is the use case and where the buyer persona is. For example, let's say you're selling again, we'll use construction tech. You're selling con- to construction workers or construction founders, whatever it is, and that's the buyer persona. Well where where what's their use case? What's the buying scenario? Are they coming from a competitor? Or are they coming from no solution? Are they coming from an antiquated solution? Like maybe they're just using QuickBooks or Excel. So if they're coming from a competitor, that comes with its own baggage. FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So if they're coming from a competitor, one of their concerns that they have in their mind that's top of mind is feature parity. Do you offer the same features that I like in my current solution? Can you mimic that? Two, can you migrate all of my data? If not, that's a problem. Three, are you more cost for? Are you cheaper than my product? Are you more expensive than my product? Four, how easy is it to use? Because my team has already been using this software for four years and they're used to it. If I migrate over to you, how quick is the onboarding and, and the product adoption? So every buyer persona has their own buying scenario, and within each buying scenario, there's these own triggers and psychology that you have to uh, you have to speak to. And so what I'd recommend for reps to get like really tap into that is. Study the buyer persona and the buying scenarios. And when you're doing a discovery call, one of the questions is like, hey, let's say it's an inbound lead. Hey, what are some challenges that you're dealing with that you think that we can help with? Prospect says, well, we're currently using X. Now you immediately know that that is a buyer persona within the buying scenario of migrating from competitor. If you've done your homework and you've memorized it, you know what triggers them, what they like, what they dislike, how you should align your entire demo around
0: that buying scenario. I really like the framework of the persona and the buyer scenario Um, because I think to your point, it gives the rep a roadmap and confidence to know, Hey, if I hear these things, here's how I connect that or tie that to the solution that we have, Uh, which gets into kind of that discovery you just talked about is uh, oftentimes they don't know how to solve. They don't understand the root cause or root problem because they don't have that context or know where to go next with the question. Um, Either because they don't have the experience or they haven't been trained yeah. Um, from the
1: manager. In ClickFunnels, I just reread it right now, Traffic Secrets are one of them. It was talking about um, how you should have uh, like landing pages for each stage of your buyer. So you have top funnel, mid funnel, and bottom funnel. Top funnel, nobody really knows who you are. So your landing pages has to have a different headline. It can't be the name of your product. It has to be more about the problem. If people yeah. know who you are and your problem, then your landing page for that audience should just be about your product itself, not the actual problem because they already know who you are. So that's why copywriting and marketing is so aligned to sales.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, as we kind of transition the last topic for today, I think you probably already hit some of it in terms of the scenario, uh, the questions to be mindful of. But As as we have potential managers or, or reps uh, thinking through, hey, how do I increase my win rate or close rate uh, in terms of the, the demo being effective? I know you have a 24-part uh, question that, that we'll offer to our audience as a follow-up to this but maybe let's go through some of those of, hey, here's here's three things that I'd recommend in terms of questions you should be asking. Um, and maybe you can tailor it to your point about a buyer scenario. Um, but that might be helpful for our audience just to start rethinking yeah. how they do their demo process.
1: So I'll give you like three very tactical things that you can do on a demo to increase the, the win rate. Um, before The first thing is before you show uh, let's assume that you're only going to show the feature that solves the pain. Let's say that before you show a particular feature, don't just jump straight to the feature. I call it a PSF strat- uh, PSF framework. So you bring up the pain. That's for the P. So you talk about the prospect pain. How do, do how, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you do that tactically? Hey, Brennan, earlier you mentioned that you're having blank, blank, blank problem, and it's causing blank, blank, blank issues. So that you you bring up the pain. It's not for you. It's for the prospect to make them lean in, and be like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm having. So you mentioned you're having this problem. What I'm about to show you will help you solve that problem in X period of time. And then I'm going to share the feature. So once I share the feature, I want to see how aligned what I based on what I just showed them, how aligned is that to their pain. So I show the feature, I end the feature, I'll say, hey Brendan, based on what I showed you, how how does this align to what you're expecting in terms of solving XYZ problem? And then I'm looking for a hard yes, a hard no, or something in between. If it's a hard yes, oh this is exactly what we need, then what I've done at that point is you just micro close them. You just close them on that feature. And if you micro close them throughout the demo, you're essentially closing them throughout the entire process. If they say, "Uh, yeah, I think so. There's hesitation. So you don't move on. In that case, you say, hey, Brendan, I sense a little hesitation. What do you feel wouldn't work for you? Now, most salespeople actually don't look for problems. They don't look for resistance. They look for like, hey, what would work for you? Why does this work? I'm looking to see why this would be an objection. So I'm asking the prospect to share an objection with me. Why wouldn't this work for you? Another example of that would be when they say, I got to take this back to my boss, for example, or my VP or whatever it is. What you should ask them is, when you do take this back to your VP or your boss or whatever it is, what concerns do you think they're going to have? What are they going to push back on? Again, I'm looking for problems. I want to hear objections while I'm still on the call. Um, a third a third thing that I would recommend doing is, I'm a big believer in talking about price up front, um, money up front. Um, but if you're, so I'll, I'll give you two scenarios here. If you only show the price at the end of the call, at the end of the demo, then before you do that, what I'd recommend you do is, hey, Brendan, before we go into price and what the plans are, based on what I've showed you today, do you feel like this would work for you? Because if it doesn't, it may not even be relevant to show you price. It may just not be a fit. So I want to do that price gut check before I even go into price. If they say, yeah, sure, I'll go into price. If you're the type of person that likes to show up price in the beginning, or maybe they say, send me a proposal. I never send proposals without talking about price. So I'll say something like, hey, Brendan, before I even like spend time on drafting a proposal and you spending time reading it, why don't I just tell you my rates? You let me know more or less if this would work for you. If it doesn't, then it may not make sense to meet up on Monday or share my proposal. I get permission. They say yes. I then share my rates. Um, So those are like very tactical things that you can do that creates very radical transparency on the call.
0: I like that a lot. I think um, it's... um I like how practical it is. Um, I like the idea of it puts the power in the hands of the reps to do, I think, the qualification, disqualification, which kind of sounds scary to disqualify a deal, but like hope isn't a strategy. And so you might as well have that upfront contract kind of conversation, if you will, to understand, you know, what (laughs) is this this truly an opportunity or not? Um, And I think so often reps default to a monologue versus a dialogue uh, where they just talk talk and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk. Um, and they just, they don't ask those questions and, uh, whether that's, I'd love to hear the kind of, why do you think, so you're kind of saying, Hey, this is what you should do. Why don't reps do this? Is that because of a conflict avoidance or what is, what's driving that, uh, lack of, I don't say lack of ability, lack of execution. Yeah. I think
1: one reason is they don't know how to be direct without being impolite. And so they just avoid the question entirely because they don't want to like step on anyone's toes. I think that's that's one reason. Number 2, they're scared to plant a seed in the prospect's mind. So if they call out like, "Hey, what concerns do you have about what I just showed you?" or "Who else on your team will will push back on this idea?" That's a question that pretty much opens up a can of worms, like opens up a can of like objections, and they don't want to plant the seed. Like, don't bring that up, don't talk about competitors, don't talk about price or objections, and they don't do that. I think those are the two reasons. And number 3, maybe they they don't know what they don't know. And like who who would who would ask, you know, like I, earlier in my life when I got into sales, I didn't know to ask these questions. Um, but I think a lot of times the, if they do learn that they should ask these questions, they don't know how to without being in, uh, impolite. So I guess a tactical way where you can ask a direct question without being impolite is what I like to call vulnerable disclaimers. So it'll yeah. sound something like, let's say I want to ask you a very direct question, but I, like I fear it's going to be too direct too blunt i'm gonna ask permission i'm gonna say hey brendan i have a pretty blunt question to ask you is it okay if i ask you and feel free to kick me in the teeth yeah and then you'll most likely you'll give me you'll give me a yes and then i'll ask my direct question
0: yeah i we were talking you know in the last interview i had like two of the i said hey what are the, talking about the three biggest traits for you know successful sales reps and it was humility and vulnerability, uh, or two of those. And it speaks into that. I, I like the idea of, a. I think you said vulnerable disclaimer, right? Yeah, um, sure. and, uh, asking for permission is a way to your point to be humble and vulnerable. Uh, and I think there's also an element where, you know, when you talk about look out for problems where that, that humility and uh, vulnerability can come into play is even if they tell you a problem, you don't know. You, I mean, I think that it's okay. I mean, my, my, view on it. it's okay if you don't know the answer and to say hey that's a great question um how do i get back to you and, and give you an answer uh if you don't know the worst thing you do is just make up an answer that's completely wrong um obviously you want to have the confidence and, and the knowledge to be able to execute it uh, but i do think there's an element of trust that you can gain with a buyer to say let me come back to you with a you know a, yeah. a response after i've had a chance to connect with the right people internally
1: how do you feel about saying i don't know
0: I I'm okay. If you, if it's connected to, but here's what I'm going to do. What I don't like is I don't know. And then you just leave it there. Um, and so I think that that needs to be, I don't know, but here's what I'm, here's what I'm committed. Here's what I'm committing to do. And you give them that action plan. Um, I think buyers respond to that. Well, how about you? I don't like,
1: I don't know. It's, I don't like it. Um, I can see why buyers would respond to it, but I try to put myself in a buyer seat. And if I'm about to spend sixty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 or whatever it is on a product, and the answer I get is, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. It's like, you should expect to know, right? Like that's like the buyer yeah. ego. But so you said something in the beginning earlier that I liked. It was like, let me get back to you on that. You're saying, I don't know, without saying, I don't know. And I think that's a better
0: approach. I agree. And I think to your point, it, it probably depends on what the topic is. Like when I was saying that, I was thinking more from I'm thinking more mid market where you would have a like a specific like a question around functionality of your software. Uh, and I think it's a like that that's where I'm like, hey, you probably need a sales engineer for that question. And it's like, let me get back to you and, and here's what I'm going to do. Um, I think that but if it's like straightforward things that like you should know to your point, it's like, well, I yeah. we're done. <laughs> like let me be honest with you, I'm not buying from you. Um, so I think there's <laughs> that element that you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, more, let's, uh, as we kind of final out question, um, I've really enjoyed this dialogue and thinking through, like, how do we run, um, you know, more effective demos? So I think it's not only a higher win rate, but I think there's a velocity component here that you just brought up in terms of if you have those upfront conversations, you likely will move deals faster, not just win them at a higher rate, but actually at a, at a faster sales cycle. Yeah. Um, Can if, I share one, I... Other, one other oh, yeah.
1: tactic around that? Yeah. So one of the things that most sales reps should ask is like around the timeline, like when they would want to at least start solving that problem or implementing the solution. And the prospect gives them a particular date, next quarter, next month, whatever it is. Most reps just take a note and be like, all right, great, cool. And now they have the timeline. What you should be doing is what I call unselling, where it's almost like you're telling the prospect, hey, you don't need this right now. So why do you need it so quickly? And I give you an example. I ask you, "Hey, when do you need to implement this buy or start the process by?" You say, uh, "Next, you know, this month, mid-month." My advice is to say, "Well, curious, why not later?" And when you ask that, the prospect ends up telling you why they actually need it sooner, or they may say, "Well, you're right. Actually, we don't need." It. But most of the time, they'll really tell you why they need it sooner. So that's another little tactic.
0: Interesting. I've never done that that way um i have done well, the kind of the work backwards concept okay well if you want to by this date well here's what we need to make sure we do to ensure that that you have it in place and your team is actually using it to drive urgency but that's that's a different approach too of just saying um why not later um for them to it's the same concept it, it accelerates the urgency in their mind
1: yep exactly all
0: right more well um as we were saying, if our audience wants to learn more about some of these tips, tricks, um, not to say hacks, but ways in which they can partner with you um, to help their sales team, uh, what's what's the next step they can take?
1: The best thing is go to uh, my website, demo2close.com. Um, and uh, it has all the information there. And if you want to chat and see if we can partner up, then you, my calendar link is there. We can book a time.
0: All right. And like I said earlier in this podcast, we'll be sure to provide um, some of those questions that Moore uses. Uh, I think that'd be a really helpful asset for our audience. Um, but please, please reach out to him. He's a good follow on LinkedIn. As, as you mentioned, he likes to do a lot of writing. Um, and there's a lot you can learn and, and get value from by following Moore on LinkedIn. So Moore, thanks so much. Really do appreciate it. And let's stay in touch. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I'll give you the link. It's 24 discovery questions to quantify pain. That You'll get the whole thing. It's, it's free. So I'll send that to you.
0: Sweet. All right. Thank you so much.